Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Today's podcast is sponsored by SLI Systems, providers of intelligent site search and navigation solutions. Learn more at sli-systems.com and listen to their interviews at ecommercepodcast.com. Your path to e-commerce success starts right here. You're listening to Practical E-Commerce, the podcast for e-commerce results. Welcome back to another Practical E-Commerce Podcast. My name is Brian Getting, and this is our September 2006 interview podcast. Uh, this is a, a good one, actually. This is Mike Cox had a chance to speak with uh, Chris Anderson of Wired Magazine. I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty big fan of Wired Magazine. This is a pretty great conversation they have sort of about uh, niche markets and the online uh, impact of traditional media and, and traditional business practices and things of that nature. So... I'm going to go ahead and turn this over to uh, Mike, who's talking with Chris Anderson of Wired Magazine. Is the niche uh, direction that the marketplace is going, is that a healthy thing in your estimation? I think it's got it's got um, you know upsides and downsides. I think the upsides outweigh the downsides. Um, you referring to culture, or, you know, healthy for culture, healthy for society, healthy for the economy. What which dimension do you want? Well, to let's talk to, about let's talk about economy, since most e-commerce people are trying to make a buck here and there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, that uh, you know, first of all, it, uh, it certainly expand, expands supply, um, so there's more stuff being made than ever before, and, and it appears to um, often, although not always, expand demand, which is that if people are able to satisfy their niche interests, they, they, they tend to find things that are more, more satisfying to them, um, and uh, they're, they're, more, um, uh, they, they're more engaged, and they tend to expand their consumption. So looking at, looking at music, there's clearly more music is being listened to than ever before. Now, that doesn't necessarily translate into revenues, um, which we can talk about later, but it, um, you could see how it might, uh, you know, if you, very, if you define revenues very expansively to include things like, 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 like live touring, um, it, it, it could increase the, uh, you know, the overall industry. So, so there's more stuff being made than ever, and people are able to choose from a wider palette and are often more satisfied with what, the, with what they got. And so that tends to have expansive you know, uh, effects on the economy. Um, however, most of the businesses, uh, you know, you know, to counter that, however, um, most, you know, many of the new producers of this content are amateurs who are making it for free. Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing that many, um, you know, industries are being effectively demonetized, uh, classified ads being the classic, you know, kind of classic right. example with, with Craigslist, but also the amount of music that's being given away for free on MySpace, the video that's been given away for free on, on YouTube, you know, the Britannica now competing with a, with a, you know, a, a, a non-commercial encyclopedia in the form of Wikipedia, um, so that that uh, you know that obviously has a has a uh, you know is a challenge uh, for the markets as a whole. So you know, good for producers, good for consumers, challenging for you know many of the traditional um, you know commercial players in the middle. Is it uh, is it your thought and, and your vision that that this is going to cause a uh, a major ground shift uh, under the under traditional uh, business? 
I think that um, in, for some businesses, it's it's going to be um, you know very disruptive. I mean, you've already seen what's gone on to the music within the music industry as they've been competing with you know new forms of distribution that, that don't have the scarcity effects of traditional shell space, uh, starting with peer to peer and now and now online um, commercial services. Um, uh, you know, other, other you know we in the traditional media now compete with you know with not just other forms of traditional media, but also millions of blogs. Um, that's challenging. The newspaper business obviously is incredibly challenged. Radio. Um, is now dealing with competition not just from satellite um, um, and cell phones, but also from the iPod, which is the ultimate, you know, sort of, you know, DJ, you know, you know, you know, micro channel of one. Um, so, um, so th- these are all these are all challenges. I think that you know that that they're not the death of any of these businesses, but they are going to require change in the way we work. Let's uh, look at it from the other side of the coin. Here's uh, the would-be entrepreneur sitting out here seeing this, uh, all of this action take place and having the perception that uh, it's pretty much easy pickings to, uh, to join the fray. Uh, what's your thought on that? Well, you know, it, it, it depends what you mean by join. Um, you know, the, the business opportunities are primarily, you know, the large business opportunities are primarily in what I call the aggregator um, space. So these are the these are the you know the Amazons and Netflixes and iTunes and Googles etc. that are managed to aggregate from the head to the tail, get lots and lots of content. Some of it professional, some of it, some of it, um, uh, you know, amateur, and and present them all and make sense of this marketplace and make it easy for 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 consumers to find what they're looking for. Um, you know, another example of that would, would um, you know, of course, be eBay, which does the same thing for, for physical hard goods. Um, so most of the business opportunities right now have been in the, in, you know, in, in the aggregator space, and the, most of the people, you know, the people who are, who are now extending the long tail on products tend to be relatively small businesses or amateurs, the mom and pop selling on eBay, the, you know, the third-party merchants selling through, through Amazon, the individual bands who are selling through iTunes. I, none of them are necessarily making a lot of money, um, but um, you know, they, uh, they're doing it for reasons, for a multitude of reasons that include maybe incremental income, um, but can also include things like reputation um, and uh, you know, just find, being able to tap a global audience. Um, as an entrepreneur, you may not be satisfied with one of the small businesses. Um, and so the question is really, you know, right now we have a relatively short head of aggregators. You know, there's the, you know, iTunes dominates its space. Um, sure. Netflix dominates its space. Is there an opportunity for niche aggregators? You know, not an, a one-size-fits-all music aggregator, but instead, you know, just classical or just jazz. Uh-huh. Um, you know, could you have one just for, you know, just an anime um, aggregator to, com- you know, in some sense compete with Netflix with, by specializing rather than being another generalist? That's the, I think that's going to be the next level of entrepreneurialism here. Mm-hmm. We, hear, uh, we hear an awful lot of conversation about uh, the... Um uh, the World Wide Web version two, so to speak. Does the expanded capability of the web and and uh, the increased network ability of of the the whole entrepreneurial community in general does that does that play a, a major role in in what you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the big the big trend, and you know, no one really. Everyone's definition of Web 2.0 is different. Um, you know, the big trend I see at this at this point is what I call peer production, or what, other, what many people call peer production, which is the notion of of, of, of individuals and amateurs going from consumers to producers, um, and the fact that that you know that they're now creating things that that get mass appeal, um, that they're creating things that that is competing with the professional stuff is the is the big trend, and this is enabled by technologies like blogs, like like the social networks, like services like YouTube and MySpace that make it very easy. To um, you know, to 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 write as well as to read, to upload 
download and to contribute rather than just passively uh, consume. Now, none of these technologies are brand new, but they're just kind of all working for the first time now. Everybody's uh, finally uh, gotten a lot of the bugs out, I guess. Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, these are ideas we were talking about in the mid-90s, but, you know, the combination of, you know, broadband penetration, getting getting critical mass, a generation growing up used to this kind of stuff, um, you know, the technology is getting better and easier, that things we were talking about in the mid-90s are now coming true. Is there a is there a danger in your mind that the that the quality of the product, whether it's intellectual property or physical property, uh, could be diminished by the this uh, incredible reach into the niches? Yeah, well, quality is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, what you define as quality may be, you know, sort of, you know, the, the production quality. What I define as quality might be, you know, how, how, how neatly targeted it is to my very specific interests. Um, you know, the rise of YouTube, which is by any, you know, by any you know traditional standard crappy quality video, um, not only is the the resolution low, but often it's kind of you know made by amateurs on camcorders. Sure. Um, it turns out quality isn't the problem. Um, you know people what people like is that it speaks to their very specific interests. Um, that it, it you know strikes a chord. It resonates with it, with, with the culture in a way that you know the commercial the high production quality commercial stuff wasn't doing. So again, quality has lots of dimensions, and you know our traditional definition of quality being sort of you know a, a commercial gloss is only one of them. Um, being able to speak to narrow interests is another, and I think that's that's what we're enabling today. What do you see as the, uh, if there are any, do you see any dangers to uh, to the to the internet community with uh, with this uh, tail wagging the dog thing that you're talking about? Well, you know, to some extent, you know, I mean, you know, the best example of of of, of uh, you know. A, a downside at the moment is perhaps the political discourse. I mean, you know, if the old model political discourse was it was mediated by the New York Times, which has a relatively balanced and even-handed, you know, coverage of the news, and the new model is that it's it's mediated by the you know the left-wing blogosphere and the right-wing blogosphere, which tends to be angry and and polarized. You end up with a very uh, you know with, with a very um, you know, uh, you know, uh, political discourse online, which which tends to be very divisive and polarized. Um, you know. I think that's 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 basically um, a pent up demand for voices other than the New York Times now being now being realized and and um, I don't think you know I suspect that as we as we get over the kind of attraction of the new voices the angry new voices we may you know again look for more balanced and even-handed you know coverage and some mix of the professional and the amateur voices in the political discourse and so perhaps the pendulum has slightly overswung at this moment uh, from the institutions to the individuals but I suspect this will swing back and that we will find a we'll find a kind of a more civil way to talk about politics online than what we've currently yeah. got uh, it's interesting uh, in the magazine industry at one point uh, your organization wired and, and others like it were considered sort of sort of renegade and edgy and all of that sort of thing but quite frankly you've become uh, pretty respected and uh, and uh, without well, you you've you've achieved that even-handedness and balance that you're talking about well, you know, we're part of Condé Nast now, which right, is, right. Um, you know, which is a, a very mainstream publisher. Um, I don't actually, Condé Nast doesn't, has not, you know, has not changed us in any way. They've in many ways enabled us to do what we what we do. Right, um, it's right. interesting. I don't, I don't think of us as being even-handed in the in the kind of the traditional American 
journalistic way. I, I think of us as being as being um, uh, almost uh, campaigning in many ways. We our articles set out to take a take a certain thesis and argue it through. We don't necessarily give equal weight to the other side. Um, and I my career start you know my my journalism career started at the Economist, which also has that same model of of, of you know rather than being completely dispassionate and, and you know and even handed it 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 it, it makes a, it makes it takes a thesis and argues it through, right. um, recognizing that people are reading lots of things and if they want if they want a different thesis they can read that elsewhere. Right. Um, but you know the the, the virtue of a, of a, of of, of, a, of a, taking a strong stand on something and defending it. I think is um, is something Wired, uh, you, know, you know, has done very well in the past, continues to do, and right. is not traditional American journalistic standards, but I think is very much the right model today in a in a world of of infinite media choices where you need to stand out. Right. If you were going to speak, and this will be my last question for you, uh, if you were going to speak to a to a group of of small internet entrepreneurs, people who sell. Everything from cigarette lighters to frozen salmon to music to whatever. What what would your what would your primary message be to them? My my advice to them would be to find the communities that are into what you sell. So, you know, so you you've already found that you've already you know you, you already technically reached a global marketplace. But if you can't be found, you're not really maximizing that opportunity. Who are the, where are the blogs? That are talking about what you're into. Who are the influentials in, in this space? You know, how can you how can you build communities and and and, and stimulate the communities that already exist to to you know to to know that you exist, to value what you do, and to find and to and to steer demand your way. And you know, the answer is it's not it's not just there isn't just one community. There's many of them out there. But but again, find those passionate those passionate consumers in your space and help them tell your story. And that's going to do it for our September 2006 interview podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank Chris Anderson and also Mike Cox for a, a great interview there. Also encourage people to check out our website at www.practicalecommerce.com. 